Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got a Sunday episode here for you, and I have a conversation with Josiah Richwine, who has been a guest on the show before, and you may recall he was the one who was working for Real America's Voice and taking a lot of photographs and having some conversations with individuals in East Palestine, Ohio, and taking drone footage as well. But his father, Daniel Richwine, is a reverend in Florida. And he joins the conversation here, and we talk about a number of biblical concepts, certainly those that have played out here within the last few years. So I just wanted to put out this separate Sunday episode, and I hope you give it a listen and uh, maybe find some peace in it and certainly some reflection. And then I will catch you on Monday with a separate episode. So give this a listen, and I'll catch you on Monday. Take care. Uh, I am Pastor Daniel Richwine. I am the lead pastor at Sumterville First Assembly of God, and uh, I've been pastoring for decades, and uh, I have a great family, sons and daughter, and uh, and if you want me to go back to 2020 now, when it first came out, I guess we were, we, we heard the broadcast to stop having church, and uh, at first I was taken in by that, so we didn't. We closed down the church. I had drive-through Easter and stuff like that where people would come through and we would welcome them, give them a little gift, stuff like that. We, uh, With Josiah's help, we started putting some uh, tapes out there, videos out there that people could watch, short sermons and all that I was giving out. But then we got to thinking, especially after Rodney Howard Brown down in Tampa just went ahead anyway. He was arrested. But uh, then uh, as it pulled out, uh, he had lawyers come in and uh, uh, even uh, our governor, Ron DeSantis at the time, made it to where uh, church was vital or however they put that. So then we all said, well, wait, why should we stop having church? So we made it to where if people were uncomfortable, they could wear masks if they wanted or stay in a corner. But uh but otherwise, we started having church from then on. What, what did you observe regarding, uh, again, your, your participants and the individuals who, who would show up? Were they, were they frightened? Were they scared? Did you have to most, talk them off a ledge? Most of them were not, but there were like 10 or 20 percent. And, uh, you know, I still have a close friend uh, who has not been to a restaurant yet. Um, since the beginning. Now, his daughter is an adult daughter, but she has uh, uh, an immune system that's compromised, and so uh, I can understand, but I was talking to him the other day, he said, hey, when we want to go out, and he still hasn't been out yet, but my congregation, for the most part, uh, can't, can't, you know, the more we convince them and talk to them, they uh, all were pretty courageous and didn't, and didn't bother them. I just had, like, again, 10 to 20% might continue to wear a mask or try to just listen to us at home as we threw out some broadcasts. Do us a favor and talk about the endless biblical connections here with what's been going on over the last three years. Well, yes. You know, back when I was younger, I would read um, the part about the mark of the beast and uh you couldn't buy or sell and i thought well that's that's pretty far-fetched i believe the bible but i said man how could they do that but that's kind of what they were doing during this uh uh 
COVID-19, I had people who felt pressured into taking the, the jab, which I did and most of us did, but probably close to 50% did. And uh, they just felt they would lose their job or would not be able to buy and sell without com uh, complying. So we did have a few of those do that. Uh, I think it's like uh, certainly, a, um, a, a, I would say, a, a first part of that coming true. Not that it had happened yet, but I can see now how easily, especially when the truckers in, um, was it Canada, tried to pick it and uh, the banks froze their accounts and they couldn't buy, sell, or do anything with the money that they had because it was just frozen. So I can see how that danger is there. In fact, I just spoke a couple of Sundays ago about trust and uh, also about having no other gods before you, which we tend to think of as just being big gods, brass gods, false gods, or whatever. But anything that uh, you trust in more than God can become a God. And we talked about, you know, if you place your trust so much in your job that you would violate your own conscience or if you trust your Social Security, which I'm glad we have, but if they were to say to me, you either take the jab or lose your Social Security, we've got to see where our real trust lies. And uh, almost like the, the Old Testament, I'm telling our guys, just begin to believe like the uh, Shadrach and Meshach uh, faith that they said, our God is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow or the widow's might, or the widow, rather, where uh, the prophet Elijah had uh, said, if you'll give me your last bit of food, uh, then your cruise barrel will never go dry. Well, you got to have faith to believe that, because she gave him her last meal. And then after that, her and her son lived for months on that little scrap that was left. <laughs> so it is a faith thing, and, and, and there's, of course... The global stuff, I used to think, how could they do that? But now we see with so many governments capitulating and trying to make it a global thing, uh, it's really scary how fast that's coming together in a sense. But for us believers, we have the, the blessed hope is the rapture. And uh, the rapture comes, uh, in fact, when looking over the material, there's nothing left for the rapture to happen. And one scripture, I could pull up the coordinates if you need them, but it says that uh, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed around the world, and then the end will come, meaning the rapture next. And uh, really, you know, when I was 16 or 18 or so, I thought, how can that, how can it reach the whole world? Now, everyone pretty much has a cell phone. I mean, our missionaries to foreign lands said they've been places where there's no electricity or nothing else, but they're all given cell phones. And uh, so it, it's pretty much reached the world. There's nothing stopping the rapture of the of believers. And there's certainly been an uptick, of course, in in endless believers now, which I think is a great, great thing. I think it's terrible that it took such an event to to bring people to Christ. But it's certainly, uh, I mean, it's certainly a good thing. Is is that is that part of what Christ was talking about too? I think so. Now, when you look at the whole counsel of God, the whole scriptures, you'll see that there's a great revival or a, a great awakening coming. I believe we're seeing the start of it already. 
and also a great falling away. So you're going to see those who are not going to come in, but you're going to see, like I told my congregation, I want good things. I, I have in mind who I would like to be president. I think if we have another administration like this, it's just pushing us farther and closer. But, you know, I said to him also, God's will is that no one should perish. And he knows that some people will not wake up until hard times hit. So he may allow that just so that they will wake up. And I'm really excited about, uh, where was it, in Kentucky and a couple places where that one college, they had days and days and days of revival, just people coming, repenting, and coming back to God. Uh, My son, Josiah, was over in California and saw a mass baptism, much like that movie, The Jesus Revolution, happening. So we are seeing a, a great awakening starting, I believe. Yeah, Auburn University most recently, I think. Yes, that was the one. And even in our own church, you know, uh, the COVID hit us pretty hard. And we were down to just uh, a small amount of people. Now it's picking back up. And in just the last few, uh, two months, we've had seven, we had three baptized in water, seven baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, miracles starting to happen, like one of the girls had been baptized as a baby, and she said, I didn't know what I was doing. I would like to be rebaptized now that I do. I said, sure, and we baptized her. As soon as she comes out of the water, she shot her hand straight up in the air, which I thought was just great, but her husband said she hasn't been able to do that for months. She was healed on the spot, and her whole hand was no longer hurting, and she could just throw it right up in the air. Fantastic. That's amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, I also sent this, uh, I, I sent this video to Josiah a while back, not that, uh-huh. not that long ago, and it had to do with uh, Jesus ruling for a thousand years. And I, I found it, yeah, I found it incredible. It was something that I had never come across, but uh, it's, it's a YouTube channel, um, Lion, Lions of Judah, I believe. Yes. And uh, I thoroughly enjoy the channel and have watched it for a number of years, but um, I, I wanted to get your take on, on all of that and sort of do your best to educate uh, educate the audience here about that. Yes, a very good video. I would certainly recommend it. Josiah sent it to me, and I looked it over. It's very definitive, uh, complete with the scriptures and all. And as usual, you'll have some people who may believe a little to the side or to the left, and I can talk about that. but. Basically, what I see in there is very accurate. When it comes to the millennium, Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament, uh, with Psalms being the most quoted book, but Isaiah the prophet the most quoted. And in there, he has several mentions of the millennium. Uh, One, it will perhaps revert back to the Garden of Eden, but at least it'll be where he says the lamb and the lion will play together. The, the child will go to the adder's nest or the poisonous snake's nest and not be harmed because there will be no harm on my holy mountain. And that's how that millennium will be. Uh, we get there through, of course, the Battle of Armageddon after the tribulation, and we can talk about that. But, but during that thousand-year reign of Christ, it says a child would die at a hundred and that it looks like it, we reestablish the uh, ancient... Uh, long life, like we saw before the flood, when Methuselah is the oldest recorded uh, human at 969, but Adam lived to be about 930 or 50, I think it's 30, 
and uh, most of them live close to that age, and we'll see that restored back into the millennium. It's an incredible time, uh, and and what, what you see now, you might see some people, how can they be so wicked, like my son likes to also see forensic files and some of that, and some you can think, how can they be so wicked? But even in the time of Christ, I'm going to focus on the good part, but it does say that when Satan is released after that thousand-year reign, See, he is kept from the earth and is uh, imprisoned, but he's released after the thousand-year reign, and uh, he's able to win over again and deceive a significant part of the population, and there has to be the last battle, the Battle of Gog and Magog. But uh, the good part is, before that happens, there is no uh, hurt on the holy mountain. Everything is just beautiful, and uh, everybody gets along. Jesus himself will be there during that millennial period. It's just a wonderful time that we look forward to. And and the rapture, of course, is for all believers. It's not a particular church or anything. Anyone who placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be raptured up and called up to be with God. Uh, it says, of course, there that the, the rapture itself will be the dead in Christ. Those who believed in him shall be called up first. And then those who are alive and remain will be caught up after that with them. And the uh, exciting parts there, it says, Paul says there, and I think it's in the, the uh, video you were telling me about. But uh, in there he says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So yes, our bodies go into the grave, but our spirit goes to be with our maker, certainly as believers. And then there's a mystery, Paul says, that when the rapture happens, that soul and the body. In fact, in, in our churches, we have a song, When the Body and the Soul Are United. When that happens, sort of a mystery Paul talks about, then we have that new creation, new heavenly body that Jesus talked about and that Jesus was the first to have. It's when he came, was resurrected. Remember, he walked through the wall, but yet he wasn't a mist or a ghost. He said to show them, uh, give me some meat. When he ate, it didn't fall to the ground. So uh, we'll all have bodies like that. Have either you or any individuals that you've encountered ever described any near-death experiences? Yes, several have. In fact, I had a youth pastor once who drowned, and he said he saw himself uh, come up over the swimming pool and saw people crying, and they pulled his body out, and they were resuscitating him. And uh, when he came to, then he, he came back into his body. So that was a youth pastor friend of mine. My uh, cousin was uh, pretty much killed in a car accident 40 years ago. He's an evangelist now. But when he overheard the doctors saying that make this look good, we can't save him, but make it look good so we don't get uh, a lawsuit. And when he heard that in his spirit because he wasn't living for god at the time this is so incredible how god is his mercy endures forever he just cried out in his consciousness lord uh, forgive me of my sins and he felt a peace come over him and when he woke up alive he was actually mad at god at first because he said i never have been able to live for you and uh, that's where we come into ezekiel 36 26 says that he will take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And that, I like that one of the translations, he will will us to do what God wants us to do. There's a part we play, but the Holy Spirit will actually, if you haven't 
if you have a desire to live for God and haven't been able to, then cry out to God and he will give you that power. And of course, there's those movies that are out like, uh, just like, what are some of those like the uh, Heaven is Real, yeah, heaven is real. And, and 90 Minutes in Heaven, both of those are com- uh, amazing. I didn't know the people myself, but I read about them and uh, those are amazing. One was a Baptist pastor and uh, the other one was a little boy and uh, the little boy later he had died and later he could tell his mom and dad what they were doing where they were at even though he was supposedly in a different room he was able as his spirit came out of the body he looked down on the whole situation and was able to describe stuff to him i read that book when it came out it was absolutely fantastic i I loved it yeah and i don't know if you've ever read any of lorna burns books but i highly recommend her as well I'll have to write that down, Lorna Burns, yes. And, and another one, an ancient book, or older, it's about 100 years old or so, uh, Within Heaven's Gates, is a Canadian who died and was in a coma, or was in a coma, rather. And during this coma time, she went to heaven and described all kinds of stuff that she saw there and how beautiful it was. Makes you want to go instead of being afraid of it, but... Like one thing, she said the angels kept saying, oh, I forget that you just arrived. But she said once they came to a tree that had some unusual fruit on it. So the angel said, yes, you can have it. And she picked one. When she bit into it, the juice just came all over her white garments. She was afraid it would stain it like a peach. The angel just laughed because he said, oh, I didn't realize. I forgot that you just got here. And the juice just rolled off of the garment. It was it was like still brand new. Then they walked into the river, and they could go into the crystal water. And when they came out again, she was afraid she had ruined her clothes, and the water just washed right off of it, and it was just like freshly dry clean. So uh, some things we can certainly look forward to. Of course, the main thing is to see Jesus. Absolutely. In fact, I I remember uh, one of the prolific writers of hymns, old hymns, would be... um, Blessed Assurance is one of those by Fanny Crosby, and uh, she wrote a, a lot about that, but she was blind, and so people said they were sorry for her and all. She says, well, no, don't feel sorry for me, because the first face I'll see is Jesus on the other side, and so uh, there's always that that hope in, uh, for our lives, too. The whole thing is, uh, first thing, coming back, we are living in troublesome times. There's an old Southern Gospel song that says that troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. It goes on, but uh, in that that video you were uh, sending to Josiah, he does a really good job of showing that. And and Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, and in First uh, and Second Peter, and in Jude. Jude, of course, being written by Jesus's half brother. And uh, all three of those talk about the time we'll get to where people will love money more than people. Uh, they will be disobedient to parents. To me, if you look at that, and just so I can pull one of those up, or, or I'll look at my notes here, but uh, it reminds me of the scare we had with the BLM movement, where they were just burning places. Uh, and it really, as if you really notice, it wasn't just white people, uh, 
black people were burning down black people's buildings and then white people were in the march and they were burning down the buildings so uh the, the Bible talks specifically in Jude and First Peter, Second uh, Peter, and Second Timothy. I think it is about those times before the rapture. And so I just feel like you know the rapture could happen any moment. Now for me, I love being on the earth, and so I pray that we'll have a Nineveh experience when Jonah in the book of Jonah was called to preach to Nineveh. He didn't want to. Nineveh was a bunch of terrorists, and he would just soon see them die. But this shows the grace of God, because Jonah's called there. If you read the book, he, he runs the other way at first, opposite direction. But he's brought uh, back to uh, his senses with a storm and a great fish. And when he preaches to Nineveh, not really having a heart to, <laughs> they all fast and they all uh, repent. And what happens God does not destroy Nineveh then. Uh, Jonah didn't even have the good heart at the time. He was looking down from the mountain, if you read there, underneath a shade tree, waiting to see it burn uh, with no mercy in his heart. But he had preached the right method. They did come and repent. And so Nineveh is not uh, is spared and is not destroyed for about 150 years. It later is destroyed. But he's given a reprieve. And I believe if we have another great awakening, we could see, just like we've seen in the past, I would say even with Trump's uh, presidency, how things turned around a lot faster than a lot of my friends thought they would. But if we don't see a reprieve like that, we'll still see people coming to God and the rapture and the end time. You might want to expound, too, on the root word for rapture. Yes, I should say that there are people who say, well, Rapture is not in the Bible. Well, well, it isn't, but the experience is, and Latin, uh, the Latin word is where we get the word rapture, not from the original Hebrew or Greek as in the New Testament, but the word there is harpazo, which means snatch away. And so, uh, again, the word rapture is not in the Bible, but the, the idea is there, and it comes from the Latin word. When harpazo is translated into Latin, it is. Uh, uh, where we get the word rapture, almost like the word dinosaur is not in the Bible either, because that word was not created until the 1800s. And so the ancient scriptures don't have the word dinosaur, but they do have Leviathan, Behemoth, and Job, both of those. And when you read the descriptions, uh, they sound like dinosaurs to me. Uh, or the word teenager, you know, the word teenager I think began at the beginning of the 19th century, uh, 1900s rather, and uh, in 1920, but it wasn't, it didn't really come into use until 1940, but we certainly have teenagers in the Bible, whether they're named that or not. The rapture, now, there are different views of it, and we'll know when we get to heaven. Uh, there's pre-trib, which means that I'm a pre-tribber. I believe the rapture will happen before the tribulation. There are mid-tribbers who believe that it happens in the middle after the first three and a half years when it's not that bad, and in the middle it goes, it gets really horrible then. And then others believe it's at the end. Uh, I think that I feel, but, you know, we'll find out when we get to heaven, but I feel that uh, the first part of Revelation and that video you showed me, he does reference that, where... Uh, 
where in the letter to the churches, he said that he would keep those who are believers away from the hour of trial. And there are several other places in Scripture that I believe will be raptured. That doesn't mean we won't go through any persecution. Just ask all the disciples, all but Judas, they all, uh, and all but John. John survived being thrown into boiling oil, but the rest of them died as martyrs. Uh, there are uh, places in our world today where Christians are persecuted and killed and stuff. But uh, he does promise in that hour he will rescue the believers. And uh, I've heard talk about incredible stories. I've had missionaries tell of where they were uh, caught by some communists over in South Africa. And they took the missionary and put dynamite all around him and blew him up but in that case much like the three hebrew children uh it created a big hole in the ground and when the communists ran up he was down in the hole still alive <laughs> so we can just i would believe in whatever situation you're in call out to the lord who knows he may just rescue you with his mighty hand I'm trying to think of some other stuff that we might could throw in there um uh, the mark of the beast is coming. Um, I know back in the day when we had those old movies about, uh, remember their names, Josiah? There was uh, The Thief in the Night and some of those. This is like 1978, 80, and, and that's where uh, uh, one of the popular songs, the world was filled with guns and wars and everyone got trampled on the floor. This is a direct quote out of Matthew 24, I believe it is, by, uh, I'm trying to pull the guy's name up, but anyhow, uh, there, they use the technology of the time to try to look at what it would be like when we have the mark of the beast. Now, with the technology we have today, we know it could be far different than just a stamp on your head. It could be an RFD or all kinds of stuff. And uh, Yeah, Larry Norman's the one who did that one, uh, that song. But uh, uh, we see now, and, and, and it says at one place there'll be no place to hide. Uh, it's, it's two references. One from the system, but also from uh, the Lord, because we know you can't hide from Him. He said they'll call. An interesting phrase there that I, I don't quite have the full understanding for, but it says they will call for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them and kill them, but they will not die. This is at the very end time tribulation period. Those who have turned their backs on the Lord and who have taken the mark. And uh, it makes me wonder about some of this. Uh, stuff they're trying to do now with the jab and all, uh, would there come a time when they've made your system to where you live a lot longer or something? But uh, anyhow, very interesting times we're looking at. You just think of all that has happened before, uh, and Jesus has prepared a place for us. And, uh, of course, the famous scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth places their trust in him, um, shall have heaven on earth, a heaven rather. And then we see when Jesus is dying there, his compassion. We have two thieves, one of them, and this is where we have to see the world today. There are people who will not repent. They they will just get worse and worse, uh, like the, the time we had just a couple of years ago in the BLM stuff. But uh, there are those that will repent, and some of them, after maybe doing horrible things like the thief on the cross, but Jesus turned to him when he said, just remember me, not thinking he had a chance. There are a lot of people that Satan tricks them. He gets them to get into evil stuff, and then he tries to make them think they don't have a chance. But 
God's grace is for everyone. And Jesus turns to the thief on the cross and says, today you will be with me in paradise. And so that's the hope I, I like to give to everybody. I've seen people in all kinds of walks of life be able to turn around and uh, see their lives totally radically changed. There's also the, uh, like one of the things I listened to when I was in California is that uh, Charlie Campbell, he's an apologist, he was talking about the invasion of Ezekiel. Um, yes. Saying that uh, him and many Bible commentators believe there are good reasons to conclude that this event will happen sometime during the first three and a half years of the tribulation, as we were kind of talking about before, whether or not the rapture will come before or during. And uh, he said, Ezekiel prophesied in chapters 38 and 39 that in the latter days, uh, specifically in verse 8, the Jews would be gathered back into their homeland and then eventually invaded by a massive military force. Of course, as many of you know, the prophecy about the Jews gathering being gathered back to their homeland has been fulfilled. This is one of the indicators we are living in the last days. Since that time when Israel was declared a nation in 1948, Israel has been attacked by her neighboring countries several times, but nothing on the scale of what Ezekiel prophesied would happen. Uh, in this amazing section of scripture, Ezekiel tells us the very countries that will invade Israel, Magog, Tabal, uh, Togermah, and Persia, as well as others. And today they have names like Iran, Russia, Libya, Sudan, Turkey, Uzbekistan, uh, Turkmenistan, and Tajikistan. Uh, he said it's interesting because this massive military invasion uh, could be right around the corner. It certainly could be. Uh, all these nations, with the exception of Russia, have one thing in common today. Uh, Islam and burning demonically inspired hatred of Jewish people. Uh, he says, I don't know if um, you're following what's happening in the Middle East. Um, it's the notes from the sermon I was listening to. But he said, much of these days, uh, but it happens to many students of prophecy that the stage is being set for the invasion of Ezekiel. Uh, and we're starting to see more and more of that, uh, more and more of the attacks. Um, says, it very well could be that when Jesus comes for his people and millions of Christians vanish, America will crumble as a world power. With America on its heels, Israel's enemies may think it will be the perfect time to destroy the Jews. They've made it abundantly clear that they desire to wipe out Israel, but boy, will they be in for surprise when they try to pull it off, because Ezekiel 38-39 tells us that God will use a massive earthquake, a plague, and hailstones mixed with fire and burning sulfur to quickly and totally destroy every last soldier. And that's described in uh, Ezekiel 39, verse 4. It says the devastation will be so overwhelming and so obviously the result of divine intervention that God says in Ezekiel 38.23, I will display my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the sight of many other uh, nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. The world is going to realize in a powerful way when they turn on the news that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is alive and well. Now, maybe the total destruction of these invading armies that allows the Jews to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. We are confident the Jews will rebuild their temple. Why is that? Because 2 Thessalonians 2.4 tells us that the Antichrist will one day take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Um, Matthew 24.15 elaborates more on that. Um, Daniel 9.27 says the Antichrist will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. So verses like those lead us to conclude that there will be a rebuilt Jewish temple during the tribulation. The Jewish people would love to rebuild their temple, so what's stopping them? Currently Islamic opposition and the Dome of the Rock. Muslims built the Dome of the Rock in year 691 on the Temple Mount, the place where the Jewish temple sat before the Romans destroyed it in AD 70. When the armies of the invading countries mentioned in Ezekiel are wiped out in Ezekiel 39, Israel might decide to finally move forward with its temple plans right there on the Temple Mount, either in the place of the Dome of the Rock or just to the north. 
where there is plenty of room for both structures and the Antichrist possessed by the devil will likely aid the process for he longs to stand in the temple and declare himself to be God. And that's where I think it's kind of a debate on, I think there's some that think he's potentially on the earth currently. Um, it's someone that has been described as a person who will be politically savvy and almost, I guess, almost like the uh, the new, I guess, original Pope or Aretha Franklin type, like someone who's going to bring peace, allegedly, but in reality, cause people to turn away and he'll call himself God. So that'll be the, the interesting tell to see how many people fall for that versus the real Jesus. And that's during the tribulation. The first three and a half years are supposed to be peaceful when, when the man of sin or the Antichrist will promise a lot of stuff. By the third, three and a half years, he really doesn't fulfill the promises. That's when all chaos comes loose and the, the terror. But back into that, uh, just as you were saying, uh, uh, there to, to put the temple back together, there's several things that have to happen. One of them, they have to have sacrificed animals like the red heifer. And it has to be exactly like to their uh, dimensions and all. Well, there are ranchers in uh, America that are doing just that, breeding animals that will qualify as red heifers for sacrifice. So we can see that that could even happen. You know, the rapture could happen, and all of this stuff we're talking about could be put in place in just a short amount of time. A lot of, a lot of stuff to look over, you know, when you look at it. And a thing that hits me is uh, back in the old days, especially those old movies, when the rapture takes place, everybody knows that they missed it, you know, those who missed it. There's even a video on YouTube about the, the rapture where a preacher is preaching and he says the rapture could take place this year. It could take place any month. Well, in fact, it could take place right now. When he says that, boom, everybody disappears but a handful who weren't really ready in the church. Well, those things can happen, but I'm seeing now, this is just my speculation, I'll have to say, but that there's so much talked about about aliens and all, I think that instead of the newspapers and the internet, the fake news as we call it today, they won't report on a rapture. They'll report on the aliens took away those who are not ready for the next evolutionary jump or something like that. And so the danger there, people who might would would wake up and repent because even after the rapture, you can repent and get your heart right and just be if you couldn't live for god now it's going to be really tough then it's going to be really martyrdom and uh, and all but uh, many of them will be so deceived they won't they won't see it and especially because they've got uh was it ben franklin that, that people that want to trade freedom for security deserve neither oh yeah and that's kind of what we're getting now we got like even uh some of those videos of no you've all harari um, the World Economic Forum, like, I guess, right-hand man of, uh, what's his name? Uh, Klaus Schwab. Um, yeah, Klaus Schwab. He basically talked about that, how people will, will literally want to trade, you know, all those freedoms because they want to have good health or whatever. Um, and that's where we're getting to where, at what point is it the mark of the beast? Because I've had some people ask, you know, oh, is the jab the mark of the beast? And I'm like, I think it's more of a precursor, but I also don't want to say it isn't. Because obviously it's not good, and it actually be because he's talked about how there's been surveillance on the exterior level with Google, but now they're trying to have surveillance on the internal level with the shots. And as they get you know more and more advanced with the internal deals, and some of the other things to look at when it comes to the tribulation period and how 
we might start seeing more of these ramp up or these might start ramping up to a, an even more crazy level. It, it talks about like, a few references in Revelation. It says, some of God's judgments upon the world will include, and this is during the time when the Antichrist um, is gaining political, economic, and religious control over the world, and even declaring himself God in Second Thessalonians 2, 4. That's when God's going to start pouring out a series of judgments. So it's going to almost be like another Egypt or Pharaoh situation round two. Because it says in Revelation 6, 8, there's going to be deadly famines. There's going to be huge out-of-control fires in Revelation 8, 7 which may be some that are caused by God, but it also might be similar to what we're seeing with Maui with these directed energy weapons, it seems, where it may be you know, things where God removes his protective covering over the earth and starts allowing these evil people to be, because we can be used by God. Um, God has a purpose for all of our lives, but there's also people that can be used by Satan. And so some of these, God may pull his hand back of protection and allow it to happen says uh, an asteroid, something like a great mountain burning with fire in Revelation 8.8 that crashes into the sea. It kills a third of the creatures in the sea and destroys a third of the world's ships. Uh, that's in Revelation 8.9 as well. Probably the result of massive tsunamis. It says demons will be unleashed and permitted to torment unbelievers for five months, which I feel like when you look at some of the videos in D.C., there's already demons in office. But um, it says a prolonged drought, Revelation 11.6. And then it says, incurable, open, oozing sores on the worshipers of the Antichrist, people who take the mark of the beast, Revelation 16, 2, which again, this could be something further out, but how many different stories have we seen of people that got the jabs are having skin issues? And I remember like when J&J first came out, there was a guy that his skin completely like peeled off. So to me, it almost makes you wonder, is there a correlation there or is that something that comes later? Um, says everything in the ocean will be killed. Revelation sixteen three. People will be scorched with great heat. Um, darkness across the planet in sixteen ten. A worldwide earthquake so powerful the Bible says the cities of the nations will fall, islands will disappear, and mountains are going to crumble. And then huge hailstones, uh, about one hundred pounds each, that come down from heaven upon men. Revelation sixteen twenty one. So it says by the end of the tribulation, the earth, its environment, and its population are going to be devastated. The book of Revelation tells us that more than half of the world's population will die during this time. Um, and he says, you know, basically, can you imagine then the widespread panic and fear people will experience? So to me, it's kind of interesting because I've you know seen clips and, and read about how they're trying to push this new world order. Uh, and there's, you know, some that talk about, I think it was like a, a former CIA agent who on his deathbed basically said they were going to use... Um, certain holographic technologies to portray one thing while actually our military was going to be attacking in the real world. Um, so they would have kind of a sleight of hand there. So to me, it makes me wonder if that could be sort of where we're heading, where there's going to be actual attacks, um, but they're going to shift it. And so then it's going to be a matter of not just a new world order and one world government, but it may be a shifting of, okay, now this is the Antichrist. And so people fall into that trap instead of remembering who the real God is. Yes, yes. And also, I, I see a danger in the church as a whole or at large of shifting doctrine to fit culture rather than the scriptures changing culture. And what I see there is like universalism where, you know, that kind of doctrine preaches that nobody goes to hell, that there is no hell that everyone goes to heaven 
all religions go, but none of that correlates to the Bible. Uh, when we look at Jude, the Lord's brother, he says there in Jude, there's only one chapter there just before Revelation. says, uh, it starts out, Judas, servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. James is the Lord's brother also. Both of these are half-brothers since uh, Jesus was, uh, his mother was Mary, but his father was the Holy Spirit. And to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy and peace and love be yours in abundance. But then he goes on, dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, that's what I like to share most, we also have to warn. He says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all trusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. I feel like that's what's happening today in even many large churches and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angel who did not, angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their power or their proper dwelling, those he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. And it goes on and, and continues in that vein, but uh, just warning us to make sure we line up with what the scriptures say. There's so much there, too. I, I could look at my notes and bring up some more stuff. If well, we, we appreciate, too, your uh, boldness and yes. always sharing, because that's one of the things I, I might have sent you a while back, but um, like Revelation 21.7 highlights how those who are victorious will inherit all this, um, you know, going to heaven and will be uh, their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly is among the first that is listed that will go to the yes. eternal, the and sign, I should say, to the fire lake of burning sulfur. Uh, along with the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. But the cowardly is one of the big ones. So that's why when we see some of these pastors that they're afraid, they're more afraid of man than they are of God. That's a scary place to be because not only as a Christian is it scary, but especially as a pastor who is leading a congregation, there's a higher role there and a higher um, level of responsibility. And so. Um, and really anyone kind of in leadership, but especially, you know, leading a church and all, if you're more afraid of man and how you'll be, you know, received than God, that's not a good place to be because ultimately we want to please God, not man. Yeah. On a positive note, uh, in Isaiah 65, it says there, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth after the tribulation. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Ever again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. So it goes on and continues that a child would die at 100, but the average age is going to be closer to the 1,000-year millennium, because that is during the millennium. Then after the millennium, and the battle of Gog and Magog, then God takes everyone that are believers to heaven to be with him. And there, of course, is the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is vast. If you read in Revelation, the size of New Jerusalem is roughly 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, 
and 1,500 miles up because it says it's a, how does it put it? It's a, uh, uh, a cube, a cubic city. And when I thought of that, and of course, he also says that the new earth will not have the vast seas anymore. There'll be a lot more land, a lot more room, and uh, things will change drastically in our bodies. But also, it says if, if you were to look at that new Jerusalem in Revelation, it says 1,500 cubic, so I see that as 1,500 miles straight up. You know, our jets, like the F-15, and uh, now the F-22 Raptor and all that, they will go maybe five miles high, maybe a little higher than that, some of them 80,000 feet, but this is 1,500 miles. What a huge city that's going to be, something to look forward to. There's so much exciting things that are way beyond our imagination. Uh, one of them, I, I think about that book, Within Heaven's Gates. Uh, in there, there's some teenagers that are killed in a car wreck, and they were all believers. But, you know, we, we are in a battle. The enemy, John 10.10, 10 says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, that's why in the Lord's Prayer it says, Pray there, and our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. It says to also protect us, you know, pray that we not enter into harm's way. And so that's a, a prayer we could always pray. But back there, the, the teenagers, when this lady arrives, they say, we've been working on your mansion. And they bring her in, and it's like a palatial place. And uh, the walls are like uh, uh, beautiful, what would you call it, uh, expensive uh, stone and they take these strange looking instruments yeah it was granite and they carve into the the granite and they throw she saw in her her state of mind there when she was in her coma they threw her favorite color roses into the wall and then put some kind of a coating over it and it looked like the roses were growing in the wall and they just stayed in there. So, you know, I'm just thinking if we have creative people here on Earth that can come up with all kinds of amazing things like our iPhones and like uh, uh, air conditioning way back when was uh, people would use it, but they didn't know how it worked or any other creation like that or invention. What are we going to see in heaven where everything is just wide open? It says, in fact, it says in First Corinthians, is it 2.10, somewhere out of there, I have not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. So we may go through some strains here. We may have to make a stand in what is happening on the evil side or with the jab or whatever. We may have that persecution, but wow, when we go through the trial, it'll be like Job who lost everything at first, but when he... When he passed the trial in the book of Job, God restores double what he lost. And we're also praying that we're going to have, you know, as as people have a heart change, you know, those who like, because I know we've all got friends and you know, even family members that got the jab, um, praying that as they have a heart change, that God will begin to heal, you know, whether it's, you know, um, extending their life or reversing. Um, because just like in the Bible, you know, you had the, the man with leprosy that God healed. You have the woman with the issue of blood that, you know, he said her faith healed her when she touched the hem of his garment. And that was, you know, supposed to be an incurable, you know, disease. And so there's so many cases like that where Jesus even says, well, you will do even greater things than he did. So it makes me, you know, kind of excited that as things ramp up on the other extreme, 
uh, we may start seeing people as they, you know, turn to Jesus and repent and realize their mistakes. God may grace it completely and, and give grace, grace, forgiveness, healing. In fact, my evangelist cousin, the one that had the accident, survived it, uh, came from the dead, literally, and uh, uh, is now an evangelist. He said he was praying about all of this backs and all the jabs, and he felt the Lord told him if people have only taken the first one or so that if they come and repent, that God will erase it or heal them. But if they continue on, they're on their own after that. So uh, Mainly because they would no longer be human at a certain point. Yeah. Just transitions. And that, to me, would explain why. I've always wondered about this. God's grace and forgiveness, I've seen him forgive murderers and all kinds of people and turn their lives totally around. But it says in Revelation, those who take the mark, there is no forgiveness for them. And now I can see, I've heard some of uh, the medical scholars say that after you take several of the jabs, three or four or whatever it was, I think the creator, the maker of it, said that you're no longer human because it will change your DNA so much you really won't be human. And that would explain why, if that happens, why you could not be forgiven and go to heaven. And you know, when we're studying, God is so amazing. This is a little often thing, but... Uh, if we were to go back, instead of looking at uh, the end time, if we were looking at the prophecies about Jesus 800 years before he came, you know, jo uh, in, in, in Isaiah 53, he talks about the crucifixion of Jesus before crucifixion was ever a thing, before the Romans had even invented it. And uh, if you look at all of that stuff, uh, it's amazing that when they talked about Jesus coming, one verse, I think it's Micah, says that he's going to be born uh, in Bethlehem. And another verse says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. So if we were back there, we might have two divisions. One group who said, you know, I believe he's coming out of Egypt. And the other one, no, I believe he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So they'd be attacking each other pretty much who's right. In the end, they were both right because Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But then when the wise men came and warned him, they uh, he went away. And in a dream, uh, Joseph was born. They fled to Egypt for a couple of years and didn't come back until Herod had died. So really, they were both right, though at the time they might have fought it out. So some of these things where I don't always totally agree, I say, you know, with God, all things are possible. We may, we may end up both being right. You know, I, I've seen a number of videos describing the age of Earth and and when God created Earth and when God created man. And, uh -huh. and then, of course, you see all of these godless monsters like these politicians and these climate change people, and they're uh -huh. always they're always throwing out these numbers like Earth is billions of years old and hundreds uh -huh. of thousands of years old and. Uh -huh. I, I've done a lot of reading on that, and of course, it seems to be a very clear evolutionary lie. That yes, it's, that yes. it's clearly designed to bring about the lie of evolution and a thousand other things. But I've also seen endless videos with individuals going through the Bible, and they're talking about how Earth is approximately six thousand years old. Yes. Um, well, I there you have two categories, and I respect those who aren't my my group. But you have a young earth group and an old earth group. The old earth being that they believe it's 60 billion years old or whatever. Um, I'm a young earther myself. 
Um, and as far as the actual age, uh, I think it was Bishop Usher, one of those that estimated it at one time. And now scholars think he might be a little off, but still a younger, 10 or 12,000 years at the most, but maybe six. And uh, uh, what we see there is, um, you know, how did that come about? Well, there are, uh, according to Job, he mentions animals in there, like if you study the Leviathan and the Behemoth. And when I was in college studying to be a pastor, uh, I had a RSV Bible that the footnotes said that these animals were alligators and elephants. But if you go and look, that's not that that is not an alligator or an elephant. Uh, so, so the Bible itself is inspired, but not necessarily the footnotes. <laughs> but in that one. When it talks about one of them being a, a, an elephant, well, the, the reference there says he has a tail like a cedar tree, and I don't know of elephants that have that. And you keep reading in there, and you'll find, amazingly, uh, you'll find one of them breathes out fire. And what do we hear about that? A dragon. So there's dragons all in the culture, maybe exaggerated at times, but even in China and places like this. So some of these animals that were supposedly 60 million years ago, uh, lived with man. And here's a cool one. When we were homeschooling our kids, I love the idea that we could just travel places and, and show them instead of just talk about it and give them pictures. We went to Glen Rose, Texas, where at that time I had studied where there are footprints of man in the same strata as footprints of dinosaurs. And sure enough, we went to private property there and they, they had unearthed a whole bunch of footprints of men and dinosaurs together. Now, uh, the scholars who did not believe that came and said these were chiseled in, much like the hoax of some of the uh, uh, Cro-Magnon men or some of these kind of people, uh, Peking man, I believe it was, that came from a tooth of a pig. Uh, we come back to this area, and uh, they looked at it. They did samples, and the men's footprints at compression, meaning that it was real. It wasn't chiseled out. Now, there were a lot of footprints in the National Park nearby, but uh, after this revelation of them being accurate, uh, somebody went in there and chiseled them all up. So there are no more footprints, men's footprints, in the National Park. But in the private park, they still have, you can go and see the footprints of man and these dinosaurs together. So to me, that says, I, I really feel the young earth has a whole lot of potential there, uh, just like the Bible says. And, and think of this, too. When we think about the age, this is getting into, you know, what do you think? I mean, I'm not trying to force it down anybody's throat, but when Adam was born or created, I should say, uh, a day after he was created, he looked about 30. He didn't look like a newborn baby wiggling in the dirt. He was created to look older than he was. And uh, I think sometimes, especially if we get into that uh, Answers in Genesis, I had a professor there once that was teaching uh, gravitational time dilation. Dr. Jason Lyle. Dr. Jason Lyle. It was way over my head, but I was getting the grasp that it was sort of like the whole universe was created all at once to run and look older than it is much like Adam would have had to have been created older than he looked. Uh, he didn't look uh, 
30 years old. I mean, he, he might be a week old and still look 30 or 40 years old. So uh, I, I'm really more of a uh, advocate of a, a young earth, just like the Bible says. And there's also the, I think it was the Hebrew word, yom, um, the, the word for day in Genesis. And it talked about how the meaning then was a literal 24-hour period. Because there's some people that have like a day-age theory view where they think every day was a thousand years because they take the verse of a day is as a thousand, a thousand is as a, as a day. And in reality, they, in that culture, always referenced it as evening to morning as a 24-hour period. So if you look through the first part of Genesis where it talks about in the beginning, um, you know, there was a darkness and void and all that, there's different beliefs on that, but is the, the actual days of creation appear to be six physical 24-hour days because it starts with evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day. So the fact that there's like three different references to it being a day seems like that's what they're implying as a 24-hour period. Now, obviously, the seventh day, God rested not because he needed it, but because he was trying to set an example for us as followers of Christ that we need to have a Sabbath day to, you know, kind of relax and enjoy God's creation and not, you know, get burnt out. Yes, yes. That's a good question, though. <laughs> yeah. And and my last one is, what 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 are your thoughts on the constant revision of the Bible and the constant rewriting and the different the different versions? I mean, I think it's well, I mean, I'm not alone in this. I know a lot of individuals view that as being a very terrible thing, and that the original version, of course, of the Bible was much longer than the one that we know now. Um, well, that is a, that's a big question. I'll try to give you my run with it. Um, one, there are some dangerous Bibles out there. I can name a few, you know, like where they've neutered God and uh or called him her and all this kind of stuff i think those are dangerous but uh the bible was originally written in hebrew with a little bit of aramaic in there especially during the time of daniel there's some aramaic references and then of course in the new testament greek and really the language languages those are miracle languages in a sense and the old testament hebrew is just perfect for describing what the Old Testament deals with. But in the New Testament, Paul has some really definitive stuff he's talking about, and the Greek language was really best for that. And uh, I believe that's why it was in Greek. For instance, uh, love has, in our language, it has one, one word, love. Like if I love my wife or if I love pizza. But, you know, if I put pizza in the refrigerator, for a week or two, and it has all this black mold on it. I don't love it anymore. I just toss it right out. But that's not true about my wife. And love, of course, has about five, four or five words in the Greek that are normally used, but I even add eight when we talk about some of the, the weird love there. But uh, you'll have agapeo love, of course, phileo love, brotherly love, eros love, which can be bad when it's erotic, but it also refers to the love the passion love that we can have for God and the Holy Spirit. So um, coming to your word, I believe that um, some of the translations, in my opinion, are very good because it, uh, I don't understand Greek and Hebrew that well, so it needs to be translated. Of course, we had it translated in the Septuagint in the Greek and the Latin Vulgate, and uh, the trouble back then was before John Huss, uh, only 
of brilliant people could read the Bible. And of course, it was expensive. A Bible back then cost about as much as your car or more because it had to be handwritten and may take a year to write. Now, since the uh, Gutenberg printing press, uh, we can have lots of Bibles all over the house, and they're really cheap. But uh, getting back to the translations, John Huss realized that only the priests and people like that, very educated, could read the Bible, even though by then it was in Latin Vulgate, not in the Septuagint Greek or the Hebrew. But uh, he understood that. So John Huss and others like him, Wycliffe and all those, decided that they would write the Bible in the common English or the common language of the time. And uh, the church killed John Huss, burned him at the stake for doing it. <laughs> Why? Because it was so corrupt. Much like I see some of our churches are corrupt today. Uh, they were so corrupt that they killed him for that. Uh, remember, I'm trying to remember the right king. But Wycliffe it was when he was being killed for writing the Bible in English himself. Uh, he cried out, Lord, open the eyes of the king. Open the eyes of the king. And I would like to give that bright spot for as dark as it looks, maybe in, in America today in some instances. If we cry out to God, if my people which are called by my name, of course in Chronicles, would humble themselves and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Well, Wycliffe cried out, Lord, open his eyes. Within months, what is wild, the king, instead of killing people for putting the Bible in English, mandated that there had to be an authorized version. Version, And out of that, we get the King James authorized version. Now, it is fun. Some people that aren't uh, studying the Bible that much at all will tell me they only use the authorized version. But it wasn't authorized by God. It was authorized by King James. And it is a good version. It's ancient. And it has been revised itself a bunch of times because we can't really read Pagardi anymore or ancient Anglo-Saxon English or 1611 English. Instead, uh, it, it stopped being the old King James, I believe, stopped being uh, uh, revised in 1849 or 50. And then, of course, we have the new King James. So they should always go back to the original languages and make sure they're close. But I don't think we have to have a scare for that either. In 1948, as God would ordain it, with all of this stuff about is it still accurate uh, in the different translations, and there are some I could mention that are inaccurate, but uh, uh, like the Worldwide Church of God, when I believe it is or one of those, is, it doesn't really see Jesus as God. But coming back to that, the, the Bedouin, Bedouin uh, shepherds, were kind of bored, they threw rocks into these caves and they heard this shatter and went in there and there were all of these porcelain jars full of manuscripts. They pulled them out and I believe, uh, if I remember correctly, I believe that they dated them to back to maybe five or 600 BC anyway, hundreds of years before. Yet if you take those hundreds of manuscripts and translate them into English, they look just like our Bible today. The only differences would be if, if in one place, just to use an example, if one, one of the writers said it was an automobile and the other one said it was a car. Well, just the same thing. And so I see them very accurate. Even some that aren't as accurate, I have fun with one. The most inaccurate one that I would still say is fun would be the, uh, let me see what they call it now. Remember the cotton patch version of the Bible. <laughs> it's not 
to be used for study or anything. But in 1969, some believers put together the cotton patch version of the Bible to try to come against uh, racism. And uh, I think it's a fun one there. And that one, you know you're not really reading the Bible as it is, but it takes uh, the guy going, uh, the, the Good Samaritan, where he's going to Atlanta instead of New instead of Jerusalem, and it's a black man driving a pickup truck. And that's about right, because the Samaritans uh, were probably the, the most uh, racist, uh, or, or the Jews hated the Samaritans. Much like in 1969, there was a lot of racism. So uh, when you when the uh, average Southerner read the Bible, they didn't get the full kick in the face of that Samaritan because, oh, it's a Samaritan, they're good people. But when he read it, a black man picked him up in his pickup truck. Whoa. <laughs> but the other Bibles that I would recommend is, of course, the New American Standard Bible is almost uh, totally like a word-for-word translation of the original. In fact, my Greek New Testament uh, professor said he had been fooled a few times by students who didn't really want to study. They just copied out of the New American Standard Bible, and he thought they had translated the Greek. <laughs> so that's a good one. The King James is a good one. I even like some like uh, the Message Bible and some of those because they put it into um, something that's accurate for people who have not really read the Bible. For instance, I did a funeral for someone, um, and uh, in there, during that time period, let's see how I should say this, uh, a person uh, who um, come up to me after the funeral and said, I'm a homosexual, but my grandmother wants me to read a Bible, and I just cannot understand the Bible she gives me. But today, during this funeral, what Bible was that? I understood everything you had to say, and it, it really it really sounded good. Grandma, let him tell you what Bible that was, and that was the Message Bible, because it is very modern, and, uh, you know, even the Living Bible, was it called? That one, uh, I agree that you need to go back to the original to be the most accurate, but there's a verse in Kings that says, uh, let not him who putteth on his armor brag like him who taketh it off, which is a mouthful, and some people don't get the hang of it. The Living Bible would say, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Well, <laughs> that isn't really what it says, but it does get the message across in our modern language. So as long as you keep your hands tied to the original stuff, uh, I think some of these, most of the ones I see are helpful. Because, you know, when we go over to China to share the gospel, I don't have them uh, learn how to read English and then learn how to read Old English and then learn how to read a King James Bible. I give them a Bible in Chinese. It's kind of like the Message Bible also. It keeps the same principles and all that, mm -hmm. but in a more like modern, more applicable way. Like the other one is the mustard seed. Like the Bible talks about faith the side of a mustard seed and not many people especially if they're not into farming know what that is as well right. but they use the term poppy seed in the message bible so even though it's not uh word exactly. word accurate the same principle is there about having faith small that god can still use and easier to understand or one of the wildest ones our missionaries to africa once was trying to give a phrase uh in isaiah is it that though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow well, in Africa, where they were at, there was no snow. 
none of the natives they were talking to had ever heard of snow. And how do you how do you put that into the right language? So what they did is uh, interpreted or translated as though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as coconut meat. And the natives said, ah, we got that. Yeah, we know what that is. <laughs> so uh, I don't take it lightly. You don't, of course, uh, Revelation says do not change the word or, or the curses can be upon you. But uh, I'd like to see everyone understand the Bible uh, in their own heart language for sure. Well, gentlemen, I'll tell you what, I really enjoyed the conversation. I truly did. Lots of great stuff, lots of great information. I appreciate your time. Thank you for the privilege. We love to hear your stuff, too. We appreciate you, and if I may pray just a moment for you, I just pray, God, that you would continue to help Sean, Dr. Sean Brooks, be bold and not let anything deter him, like you said, to Jeremiah. Don't you look at their faces. And you look at my face. I pray that he will stand bold and preach the truth as always. And I just pray in my my heavenly language just a few seconds because that means the Holy Spirit prays through me and things that I don't even know about. I don't know what Sean is facing. I don't know the things that he needs, the miracles he needs in his life. So I just say in my heavenly language, Io lobo kabarata shanamantas tabiyako habasatakatita alitiamo ambaroto and I believe God is also saying that he loves you, Sean, that he, he, he's, he really is happy to see you step out boldly and not be afraid with your broadcast. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.